Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here and a little bit of breaking news here in the studios. Uh, Kevin Laramie, my co-host and friend, has had uh, an off. He's had a bit of a shunt in practice this morning. And after leaving the medical center, he's been advised by the doctors not to partake in this evening's session. But hey, I'm just kind of kidding. Kevin, is it just a little bit under the weather? So... Just after getting my co-host back after a very long extended break for the World Cup and uh, some other projects he's going on, I'm flying solo again this week. So, Kevin, I hope you're feeling better next week because we're right in more controversy. (laughs) Uh, Monza was quite the Grand Prix. Anyways, we will get to that shortly. It has been... Well, it definitely has not been uh, quiet the last couple of weeks since uh, Formula One uh, returned from the summer break. Both Spa and Italy were both very exciting races, I think, and interesting results. I think, uh, uh, I just think uh, result-wise, I guess you could say, maybe that uh, Spa wasn't quite as action-packed as the Italian Grand Prix this past weekend, but definitely was very interesting in how Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel dominated this race, and Italy. I think was quite enjoyable. <laughs> I guess if you're a, a fan of Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, you're over the moon. If you're cheering Sebastian Vettel, you're probably a, a little bit disappointed. But before we get into that, I was just uh, wanted to talk a little bit about what I've been up to away from the podcast and away from, well, definitely not away from Formula One. But finally, I, I broke down last week and purchased a, a subscription to the new F1 TV. Here in Canada, we don't get the F1 TV Pro, which is the the full package, but we get uh, a fair deal of it because we get the Sky Sports uh, broadcast that gets uh, uh, from the UK, which is broadcast here on TSN, which is our national uh, sports broadcaster or one of them. We've got uh, two major sports channels here in Canada, TSN and uh, Sportsnet. And uh, TSN has been the broadcaster or has uh, broadcast Formula One races for years and years now. I don't remember when it was on another channel. I remember when I was a kid, way back in the day, it was on CBC, which is our nationalized uh, and publicly taxpayer-funded TV uh, uh, broadcaster and radio broadcaster here in Canada, similar to the BBC if you're in the the UK. 
Anyways, uh, I'm really pleased with uh, what I've seen with uh, with F1 TV so far. I downloaded the app for my iPhone and both uh, for my iPad. It was a bit glitchy uh, at first. I was trying to access some of the different videos and some of the archives that uh, that were on offer, only to be uh, greeted by a message that I needed a, a premium account or something. But uh, nothing that couldn't be sorted out with a few emails back and forth with uh, their technical pe- uh, people at uh, or support people at uh, at Formula One, and they said within uh, 24 hours I would uh, receive a reply and uh, they were pretty good I don't know what the deal was uh, I've got the year subscription so I can get the, uh, the the timing and the radio broadcast and everything which I listen to and have on faithfully for every qualifying and and race session but uh, it was very cool I thought to, to be able to go back and watch some of the or at least the highlights for some of the practice sessions at uh, at the Italian Grand Prix last week and also the archives are, are pretty cool I went back for the first time since well obviously the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in 2016 to watch that race in its entirety and I don't think it was any less intense watching it uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago and that whole sequence of the last several laps when uh, Lewis started going slower and slower and Vettel and uh, Verstappen kept uh, getting closer and closer to uh, to Nico Rosberg. I, I guess perhaps if I'd binged on the entire season and started all the way back at uh, at, uh, at Melbourne in 2016, watched the entire year all the way through, it would have been just as intense as the, uh, the entire year was. But uh, very cool stuff. I went back and even found in the archives the entirety of the uh, the 1986 British Grand Prix at Brands Hatch, which was amazing. And then there was Jacques Lafitte, uh, a, a famous and more, quite a well-known uh, name from, from years gone by. That was his very last race in Formula One, I guess, because he had an accident at the first corner and broke his legs. And it was uh, it was very interesting to see with like uh, the, just the, the entire broadcast from, well, I guess... 30 years ago that uh, seems a, a bit of a a mind-blowing admission that uh that, that I, well I don't remember watching it but uh I do remember I, I was old enough I was in in elementary school at the time I do remember at least either watching extended highlights or a, a recording of the race afterwards uh with, with my dad but the the real interest uh, that I had in that one was to to watch the Williams cars, which were driven by Nelson Piquet and uh, Nigel Mansell. That uh, the Williams FW11 is for me one of my favorite Formula One cars of all times, and I think uh, you know as fans now of Formula One, we're sometimes very critical, or at least I can be, about how one team tends to dominate the sport. Obviously, it's been all Mercedes way the past couple of years, and before that, it was Red Bull, and of course Ferrari have had their dominant spells, McLaren and and uh, and Williams. That would have been their their peak. Uh, I guess sort of the uh, mid to late 80s, early 90s. Well, even into the into the noughties, into the early 2000s, they were still a, a very competitive team, but they were just dominant. Uh, I can't remember what lap they were at, but it only seemed to be about half race distance. And I think they'd lapped basically everybody up to about 34th position. I know Brands Hatch isn't exactly the, uh, the the longest track in the world. I was looking at the lap times and they, they seem to be a little bit sort of like low one minutes, maybe about one minute, 10, one minute, 15. So maybe a little bit shorter. So not very uh, a very long circuit, uh, and especially watching them uh, really carve their way through the pack. But it was really kind of interesting also to watch the 
start and just how everybody kind of did whatever the hell they wanted <laughs> until the lights uh, went green and the, the race got started. But uh, very cool stuff. Uh, then also started, uh, I started watching through the 2002 season. That just seems to be, at least for, for us, I don't know if it's different in, in different countries, but at least the archive I have available here in Canada, uh, the 2002 season has mostly extended highlights. The only uh, full race in there at the moment, I think, was, was it Brazil? I can't remember. It was one of the uh, the early races uh, in the year, but uh, it was uh, kind of cool to see. So they, they said that they're going to fill it out. And I mean, they've got over 50 years of material in the archives. And I think it would be pretty cool to go back and maybe watch some of these uh, seasons in their entirety. I don't know what sort of footage they have from the 1950s and the 1960s, but it would be at least very neat to, to see some sort of extended highlight package of some of these races if they can't put the entire race on in full. And obviously, I think one of the years that would be interesting to watch would be 1976 and that epic showdown between Nicky Lauda and James Hunt. Uh, I know for myself, I wasn't uh, able to watch that one live or as it unfolded. And of course, I've only heard it and anecdotally told by older family members that uh, and, and and older people that uh, that I know that uh, that that watched it and that you know were able to enjoy that season and of course more recently we've uh, been treated to the movie uh, Rush that came out a couple of years ago which uh, which was very cool so that would be neat so yeah if you're an F1 nerd like me and you like to binge on certain things and if your favorite season of whatever is uh, if you've gone binge through it on Netflix and you know the uh, the the subscription to F1 TV definitely well worth it. I uh, I I I just admit you know just uh, I I wanted to try it out. Didn't go off and drop the whole thirty six ninety nine or whatever it was for the entire year. I went for the the three ninety nine for one month. But uh, I've already decided that uh, just even after a couple of days, well, probably within the first couple of hours, actually that I'm not going to renew the one month uh, subscription. I'm just going to go for the uh, the entire year subscription and uh, enjoy all of that. So. Look forward to at some point in the future that uh, we'll be able to get uh, the entire uh, F1 TV Pro package. But uh, I believe that we're not going to get it until after the end of maybe 2019 in Canada. I think maybe that's has something to do with maybe the the, the rights that TSN have here uh, to broadcast. So F1 nerds. Go out there, get it. Definitely worth it. You won't be disappointed. And uh, it's only going to get better. Lots of good interviews on there, too. Enjoyed a very interesting one uh, with Nikki Lauda. Uh, and sorry, I'm going to start working uh, the way through that. So I'm not sure I'm going to check out next. Santa, can't go wrong with Santa. You got other greats in there as well. So uh, definitely worth checking out. So let's get to the latest news at hand before we talk about uh, the very eventful uh, Italian Grand Prix, the the silly season has been extremely silly this year in uh, the driver's market. So many different things going on. And McLaren has finally um, confirmed their driver's lineup for, for next year. And it's going to be completely different than this year. Of course, Fernando Alonso announced his uh, retirement uh, not so uh, long ago, just uh, only a couple of weeks ago. Which, of course, uh, I don't think anybody was surprised uh, to hear that Fernando's decided to hang up his F1 racing boots and concentrate on uh, winning the Triple Crown. 
not a surprise at all. Uh, but the the big surprise is that they've let Stoffel van Dorn, the uh, the young Belgian, go, and uh, they've de- decided to pr- promote their uh, test driver and reserve driver, eighteen year old Lando Norris, uh, who was uh, a very highly touted young talent. And I, I think that Zach Brown and the brass at uh, McLaren were afraid that, uh, well, the Toro Rosso and Red Bull especially were trying to sign him to get into the car into the Toro Rosso already this year. So um, McLaren had already quashed that so i guess uh you know lando norris being the talent uh that that he is and hopefully uh at least from mclaren's point of view that uh he will become the next max verstappen uh you know one of these young talents that uh, where, where the sky's the limit that uh, they felt that they had to get him into uh, a race seat in their own team sooner rather than later of course uh they do mclaren doesn't have a, a junior team very much like um uh, uh red bull has toro rosso or perhaps you could uh, make that argument too for a Ferrari and say uh, a Sauber so I can understand uh, the logic behind it and I'm sort of thinking about it I mean obviously McLaren has been a disappointment you know let's let's be clear about it over the past couple of years uh, some of it is uh, due in part uh, to the fact that uh, the Honda engine wasn't all it was cracked up to be for the first couple of years looking more promising now of course and uh, Red Bull has definitely thrown their all their eggs in that basket for the next couple of years but also the chassis isn't the greatest. I mean, you look just at how uh, Fernando Alonso has been struggling, and uh, Nando even said uh, over the past couple of days that uh, that the McLaren seems to be going backwards, and uh, they, they're doing all sorts of things to try and bolster and uh, increase the quality of the people that they have off the track, uh, designing um, the, the, the car and uh, all the technical aspects to it. Uh, you have James Key that's uh, at uh, Toro Rosso that's uh, going to McLaren, but that's not going to be able to, uh, he's going to be the new technical uh, director of McLaren, but that's going to be very difficult to get him out of his contract. So he might not go there uh, for another year or so. And they've just rehired Pat Fry from uh, Ferrari, who was there up until about eight years ago as uh, uh, in another role there. So they're, they're very busy doing all the right things. And I think it's very interesting to see what uh, McLaren is doing. And I just think that maybe now after, I thought uh, what was maybe a quiet introduction to Formula One and to McLaren for for Zach Brown? I think that uh, over the past several months, I think uh, it's it's definitely become more apparent that maybe up until the the first half of the season, or maybe at least last year, Zach Brown was maybe observing, evaluating, and then. Uh, deciding where this team needs to go because I think a lot of the moves that uh, that the team has made uh, recently is uh, a result of all the other uh, the work and all the decisions that uh, that Brown has put in behind the scenes and I think maybe coming from into Formula One from a slightly different angle and being an American that uh, maybe he's uh, just hasn't been in Formula One as long to maybe get caught up in some of the uh, the boardroom and paddock politics uh, I mean obviously the first big move was the and I love this term the the mutual party of ways between McLaren and Eric Boulier uh, earlier this summer. Because anytime I hear in professional sports when a team or a club or whatever and uh, one of their higher placed people decide to to mutually part ways uh to me that's always uh, a clear indication that that person got sacked but just for pr and a way to to save some dignity they they phrase it in a way that uh you know it makes it look like well obviously mutually that uh, that both sides decided you know this isn't really working for either of us you know let's let let's let's just let's do this let's just 
cut ties and and move on but uh, definitely i think you know that's a, it's just a more a, a classier way rather than chucking a guy uh to the curb so very very interesting and disappointing too about um van dorn obviously he's uh, been in the team now i mean he was a reserve driver for a while while he was in super formula and uh we had uh, jensen button and uh, fernando alonso uh as the as the two drivers for mclaren up until uh last year and then of course uh, when uh, fernando had that huge shunt at uh, the australian grand prix at the beginning of 2016 and turn three or whatever it was when his car was launched through the air can't remember exactly was it one of the haas cars that he had a coming together with can't remember now but um anyways i mean nando was uh, very fortunate to walk away from from that one but of course uh some of the fallout from that accident was that uh, he was not able to race in the uh, the second grand prix of 2016 which was in bahrain and uh, stoff did a great job piloted the car to, to p10 in his debut and scored a single point and um it's been pretty more down than up ever since uh, there's been some flashes and it's for me uh, it's a little bit difficult to to really sort of measure up uh, what Stoffel Van Dorn has done in the car. Obviously, he's had his uh, struggles with uh, reliabil- uh, reliability and uh, mechanical problems, just as uh, Fernando Alonso has had. And uh, he's sort of been there. And even uh, Fernando was saying that he's been closer to him than a lot of the other teammates that he's had over the uh, the course of his career. And the, the, the stats do uh, play that out. And uh, again, uh, very... Very good comments and and, uh, and praise coming from Zach Brown and uh, from McLaren, just uh, talking about uh, the uh, Stoffel Van Doren's quality as a person and as a team player and his dedication and, and all the, those sorts of things. And uh, Brown apparently is trying very hard to get him uh, a seat uh, for for next year. And he was saying that uh, Toro Rosso, obviously, what with all the <laughs> the drivers moving around, Pierre Gasly is moving up uh, to, to Red Bull to replace Ricardo, who's going over to Renault next year obviously Brendan Hartley who's been in Formula One for not quite a year came in towards the the latter part of last year hasn't been able to get things done really and uh, well obviously what with uh, Norris being a target for Toro Rosso a couple of months ago obviously they were not looking to replace uh, Pierre Gasly but obviously they were looking to replace Brendan Hartley so that's a team that uh, is in a bit of state of flux right now. Uh, there are still some guys that are still probably looking for seats. Uh, Williams is a big question. Sergey Sorotkin, I believe, and I, I'm not quite 100% sure, I believe I read a couple of weeks ago, it may have been in F1 Racing Magazine, that uh, Sergey brings something uh, in the neighborhood, and I, I want to say 30 to 35 million euros if uh, if I believe that's where it came from, or if, uh, I don't know, maybe I just pulled that number out of thin air. It wouldn't be the first time, but uh, there you go. In uh, sponsorship money, so I, I, it would be kind of hard to see him leaving Williams. Uh, Lance Stroll, for me, seems to be a bit of a stretch, and who knows? Maybe by the time you guys listen to this podcast, it's changed, or maybe I've missed something, but uh, obviously with Lawrence Stroll uh, leading that consortium that uh, got uh, Force India out of the administration to become the new owners, that seems like a logical place for, for Lance to go so is there possibly an empty seat there uh what's what's going to happen with esteban Ocon, who's uh at force india right now uh one of the ticks in against him in his box uh, according to zach brown was his 
his ties to Mercedes is a Mercedes contracted driver, which made things kind of complicated because they were looking at uh, Ricardo, they were looking at Ocon, they were looking at Raikkonen, all guys to to go and uh, enjoy McLaren for next year. None of them have uh, really worked out. So Hamilton says Ocon should be in Formula One, and and it's been great to see for, uh, Force India the last uh, couple of races since they're out of administration. They got ca- cash flow again. They've kind of percolated back up uh, through the midfield, so back to kind of where they've been the last couple of years. So that's uh, refreshing to see. And again, Sauber, that's uh, another interesting one uh, because the the on again, off again, the whole saga of will Kimi be back at Ferrari next year or won't he? That seems to be a little bit up in the air. His uh, family was at the Hungaro Ring before the summer break. Uh, apparently they had brought his family there, all part of the discussions or whatever on a, a contract for next year. It seemed at that point they were uh, cooling on the idea to, to maybe bring in Charles Leclerc to uh, to Marinello to partner Sebastian Vettel next year, give the youngster another year at Sauber to uh, to learn more, get more accustomed and, and just uh, get more experience in Formula One. And uh, Kimi, obviously very impressive, at least in qualifying at uh, at the Italian Grand Prix, it seemed to to me. And I've kind of I've kind of wavered back and forth on this uh, a little bit, and I've I've kind of gotten to the point that. I don't think it would be a, a bad thing to to see Raikkonen and, and Vettel line up uh, against each other at uh, Ferrari for another year. It seems to be a pretty good tandem, although maybe not quite as effective as say the the Bottas Hamilton uh, partnership at uh, at uh, Mercedes. Bottas really uh, doing that job to to run interference and and be that number two guy. I hate the, hated the word that uh, that Wolf uh, said and called him a wingman. It was a, a little bit insulting, although that wasn't a bit of the the heat of the moment and and Bottas uh, of course didn't really appreciate the comment either but he's doing the job and I think that if Kimi could do a little bit more or had been able to do more like uh, Valtteri Bottas has been doing for Mercedes the past uh, several races um, might have um, swung things uh, a different way but uh, apparently the Leclerc to Ferrari thing might actually be a thing again uh, because uh, now apparently they're uh, thinking of actually going through with the plan that uh, that uh, Sergio Marchionne had uh, kind of put into motion before he unexpectedly uh, passed away uh, rather suddenly earlier this summer. So uh, the the word uh, from Marinello is that uh, that they are looking to to honor that uh, that that succession plan or this uh, driver lineup uh, for next year. So so stay tuned. So the silly season is not quite over yet, and it's been. I think the one word I saw it was either on uh, on ESPN or perhaps on uh, on Motorsport.com was I think the word they used to describe the the drivers market for this year was turbulent, <laughs> and I think that is the best way to describe it because it has been very 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 turbulent. And then another name that has been tossed out there as a as a possible replacement. You know, I'm just looking at my notes here. <laughs> There's been so many names tossed around in uh, in not only over the past couple of months and weeks, but even over the past uh, couple of days that uh, Ferrari test driver Daniel Kvyat, who has been at uh, Red Bull and Toro Rosso over the, the past couple of years before being sacked at the end of last year to make uh, room for Danny Kvyat, or sorry, uh, for, for Brendan Hartley, is uh, apparently perhaps back in the picture to get a, a seat at, uh, at Toro Rosso for next year. 
So possibly we'll see the torpedo back in Formula One. So as I said, the silly season, very, very silly at <laughs> at the moment. But uh, I've gone on for a long time now. I mean, we're almost, what, 22 minutes into this thing now, haven't really even talked about the Italian Grand Prix. I mean, there's just been so much news uh, going at this time of year uh, or over the past couple of uh, days or so. And uh, well, I'll, I'll miss it when it's gone. It'll be too quiet uh, in November and uh, Abu Dhabi will come soon enough. So let's enjoy it while we can. But what a, a qualifying session that uh, that we saw at uh, at Monza. Uh, it was uh, it looked like it was Sebastian Vettel. It looked like it might be Lewis Hamilton. And then uh, Kimi Raikkonen, who had been pretty quick all weekend long, just really pips Seb to the to the pole position. And uh, well, I think uh, that that really had a lot to do with how this race uh, really played out. Uh, Vettel was uh, really jubilant on the radio after uh, Q3 ended, but then somewhat uh, soured rather quickly when uh, he was informed by the Ferrari pit wall that, uh, in fact, he did not have pole, that he was P2, and uh, I think he said something, oh, well, we'll talk about this uh, later. But of course, so um, it was it was kind of cool because just uh, watching these guys get faster and faster and faster, we actually saw the track record at Monza broken a couple of times, and uh, on on Saturday, and we saw the fastest lap ever recorded in Formula One, and that was something that was had been held by uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, who set that record. I believe back in 2004 was the the quickest lap in Formula One history. So it took almost 15 years for them uh, to to equal that record. So it was kind of cool to to, to see Raikkonen and do it. But if you're a fan of Vettel, <laughs> you didn't want to see. I think you would have wanted to see that front row reversed with Seb on pole and uh, Raikkonen being that uh, that that guy between himself and and Lewis Hamilton because as uh, they went down the first straight into Redifilio and then around the uh, Curve Granda and then into the Lesmos, you know that uh, or before the Lesmos actually, uh, they they got into that chicane and. That's where the big talking point of, well, the big talking point of the first part of the race is by the time they went in that chicane, it was basically Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel neck and neck. Uh, you could tell that uh, that Lewis was getting a real toe going uh, around the Curva Grande. And uh, even though he was on the outside of the track, he just had so much speed going in that corner. Seb uh, tried to take the inside line, but going into the corner, Lewis was ahead. And by the time they went through the chicane, he was going to be on the racing line and and unfortunately, they came to blows. And it was Vettel who came out uh, worse for wear, had to go back. He was dropped all the way back to the, uh, the, the, the back of the fields, had to go in for a new, uh, uh, a new nose cone. And, uh, of course, we had a safety car period, but it was going to be a very, very difficult uh, job for Sebastian Vettel to get uh, all the way back into contention uh, for that one. I mean, he did very well to get back uh, to where he did at, uh, at, at the end of the race. Race. But again, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton wins this one. Seb ends up in P4. The the, the gap at the, the the World Championship is now 256 points to 226, 30 points. Still quite a few races to go, but that gap for Hamilton is slowly starting to get bigger and bigger. He's starting to get a bit of a buffer, and. 
as we were talking about in recent weeks, you know, there, there's all these times during the, 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 the season so far that Vettel has had the advantage or he's made crucial mistakes and, and given away points. Yeah, I mean, you look at Baku, then you look at uh, the, the French Grand Prix where he clashed with, uh, with Valtteri Bottas and uh, was given the stop and go penalty or the, the five second ten- time penalty, whatever it was. Uh, and, but before that, you know, ended up at the, the back of the field. Uh, <laughs> you've got the Italian Grand Prix now you have uh, this and it was 50 50 I, I i thought at first maybe hamilton had put the schumacher chop the schumacher squeezed on uh on uh on on, on sebastian vettel and just talking to you i was talking about the the archives at the beginning of the show if you want good examples of the schumacher chop go back and watch those first couple of races of uh of two, 2002 and i don't know i mean considering um even though that they're they've sort of relaxed these um these uh, penalties in the more recent years I don't know how much Michael Schumacher might get away with uh, this, uh, uh, you know, in the current era of Formula One. Uh, Montoya, obviously, at the back in the day, was quite vocal about it, but uh, I think it was uh, the Malaysian Grand Prix where Schumacher really put uh, the squeeze on JPM, and uh, he really ended up uh, worse for wear. But uh, you know, Schumacher, that is, ended up at the back of the grid after losing his wing, but still managed to claw his way all the way back up uh, to finish that one in third behind uh, his brother Ralph, who won it, and uh, Montoya, who came second. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it it was interesting. I think, though, that uh, the the uh, the incident between Hamilton and Vettel, like I say, I thought at first maybe Lewis got away with one, but after watching the, 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 the replays, I think 50-50, Lewis maybe could have, uh, maybe he could have uh, eased off, maybe given him a little bit more room. But then, of course, if he did that, he would have gone over the curb, and he was probably not all that keen to maybe damage the underside of his car. Vettel may, maybe could have like eased off. Obviously, the Ferrari was much quicker for um, lo- most portions of the weekend in practice and in qualifying. And uh, even in the race, uh, they were looking pretty speedy there. So if, uh, you know, maybe maybe Vettel wants that one back. Maybe if he had a, a do-over, he maybe he wants to just concede that position on the first lap because, hey, you still got, what, 50-something laps uh, to go. You got a good car. You know that uh, in a straight-up fight with uh, Mercedes, uh, you probably have the advantage plus you probably have 50 extra horsepower from all the tifosi at monza um so maybe not vettel's uh you know best decision uh to date and even uh, nico rosberg uh for a 2016 world champion and obviously uh uh ross or sorry uh hamilton's former teammate has uh, put it out there that uh, that he has to be less accident prone it has to be more consistent uh, otherwise lewis is going to walk away with it and uh, that echoes my own sentiments uh, that i said uh, i think a month or so ago that uh, if Seb doesn't clean up his act, then uh, Lewis is going to, to to win that one. I've been saying for a long time now that I just want somebody other than Mercedes and Hamilton to win. But then I started thinking about the alternatives. Well, I'm, of course, it's been all Mercedes the past couple of years. But before that, it was Vettel that was the guy that was running away with it and, and Red Bull. So, I mean, of course, Vettel's at Ferrari now. And Ferrari, of course, were dominant in the early 2000s. <laughs> so I was just like, where's the silver lining? Where, where's uh, What is the best situation to, to, to hope for? And, uh, you know, you kind of look at past history a, a little bit. And Formula One is all 
always been that way. We, we've seen that, like I was saying earlier in the show, with uh, with McLaren at certain times in history, and and Ferrari, Mercedes, Williams. You know, everybody's had their 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 time in the sun. And uh, but I, I think that I think it would be great if it kind of went down to the wire. Even though it was uh, you know two Mercedes guys scrapping for it in 2016, it, it was it was pretty exciting uh, to see uh, that that final race go down uh, just between Hamilton and uh, and Nico Rosberg then so you know honestly I mean they're they're both good drivers uh Lewis I think he's obviously been more consistent to uh, this year he always seems to be a little bit uh, luckier than Sebastian Vettel but then again maybe Seb like I was saying has just taken too many risks and just uh, made things uh, more difficult for himself because if you look at it, uh, at the end of the year that if Lewis goes on to, to win this world championship then uh, Vettel will probably look back and maybe to look at well Monza for one Baku France Germany any one of those races and look at all the points that he left on the table and think well you know if uh, this hadn't happened or that hadn't happened well that that could have been the points that that I needed to to beat uh, Lewis Hamilton but it's been a very enjoyable season and uh, it's not going to change my enthusiasm for it uh, what would really be great to, to see is that uh, Red Bull who've shown flashes uh, of course this year and have managed to win several races of their own would be great if they could really insert themselves into that mix and and really consistently be uh challenging Ferrari and Mercedes and and not just on the the odd occasion on tracks that seem really suited to their car and uh and the Renault engine which is obviously not quite as as powerful as the Ferrari or the Mercedes but uh has its moments from time to time so who knows who knows maybe we'll see that next year and maybe uh, Max Verstappen can maybe uh, finally start to make himself more of a prominent or regular threat. I mean, he's one of these guys that is touted as a potential world champion. So it would be cool to see him fighting for it uh, a little bit uh, more regularly. But more on Max uh, in a minute. But of course, obviously, with uh, Sebastian Vettel dropping all the way back down and then just uh, really on a recovery drive just to, to get back up as high as he could, I think fourth was obviously the best uh, that uh, that he could hope for. Uh, it always seemed like a real stretch unless something happened to one of the two Mercedes or happened to Raikkonen that uh, once he uh, got that high, that uh, that was about as far as he was uh, going to get. But the real interesting part to see was just how long uh, Kimi Raikkonen stayed out there in front and Lewis Hamilton very close and then of course uh, it all really came down to the to the pit stops uh, Raikkonen came in first and then there was this bit of this controversy with the uh, the the Mercedes phantom pit stop because they came out at the same time Lewis Hamilton stayed out and uh, well I don't know about that uh, it it seemed to me I the way that I interpreted it at the time was that that they were either preparing to, to have Hamilton come in at the same time as Raikkonen and just uh, just go out for it head to head rather than trying the the overcut or the undercut, whatever the case may have been. So I don't know. Wolf always said that uh, they, they had where they were prepared for for Lewis to come in. They weren't trying to fake out uh, Ferrari and stuff like that. Perhaps uh, you know if they'd made the omission that uh, that it was uh, a bit of a, a trick on their behalf, then that's kind of a, a gray area when it comes to, to to sportsmanship. But at least my position, and of course, hey, I wasn't at Monza. I was at home <laughs> here in Vancouver, Canada, watching it on TV. But that was uh, that was my interpretation uh, of the events. But it was wasn't so much the pit stop itself it's just that Hamilton stayed out a little bit longer 
as the race went on, his laps or his tires were a little bit uh, a little bit fresher, a little bit younger than Kimmy's. And it really came down to the fact that his tires were in better shape at the end, and Kimmy had nothing left. And uh, what uh, Pirelli called uh, a perfect storm of conditions that led to the blistering on Kimmy's, especially his left rear tire. And if you look at the uh, some of the, the, the close-up photos of that left rear tire on Kimmy's SF71H, uh, there is nothing left. <laughs> There's a, a lot of the, uh, the surface of the tire that is just basically melted away. And uh, of course, uh, Hamilton just had to, to play a cool stay in touch. He obviously had a very quick car, and it was obvious for a very long time that uh, the Raikkonen was having issues with that tire. And all Lewis really had to do was was keep it cool, not get into trouble, and then just take his opportunity when it came. And uh, two weeks ago, it was uh, Ferrari that had their way at uh, at Monza. I mean, they they beat uh, Mercedes obviously uh, straight up, but it wasn't a, a straightforward victory for for Hamilton. I mean, he had to work for it and he had to to, to wait patiently and uh, just to just to take it. Uh, you know, I was honestly I found it a bit difficult to watch Hamilton and uh, and Mercedes um, celebrating afterwards because what with um, Raikkonen setting the, the the fastest lap in F1 history and uh, Ferrari and, uh, and of course Vettel just looking very competitive all week long and then the week before at, uh, at Spa really to me looked like there might have been a bit of a shift in the momentum, uh, perhaps in the in the in the hierarchy of uh, Formula One, obviously Ferrari still, uh, you know, right up there on par with the Mercedes, perhaps even a, a little bit uh, ahead when it comes to terms of uh, power in the engine that they have. And uh, Mercedes has still been saying those things, but I guess maybe at the end of the day, maybe it's moments like that that say if uh, they do manage to 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 beat them more regularly, and and maybe if uh, that uh, that that momentum shift becomes a momentum change, and they they swap places, maybe it'd be a little bit different. But uh, I don't know. I, I just uh, I, I think I was hoping to see a little bit more of a, a straight up fight between them. Uh, but, uh, still it was, it was enjoyable to, to watch. And, uh, I think, uh, maybe what, what we've seen over the past uh, two races, may, maybe it's not disappointed, but maybe almost, uh, yeah, I think, I guess maybe disappointment is a little bit too harsh of a word, but, uh, definitely if, if we see these two teams and, and these drivers going back and forth for the rest of the season and hopefully next year as well, then uh, it it could be it should be exciting each and every ra- uh, race weekend. And I think that's what uh, we all really want. We all have our teams that we cheer for. We all have our favorite drivers, and uh, and things like that. But at the end of the day, um, we're, we're all Formula One fans. And I think what we really want to see is we want to see lots of overtaking. We want to see lots of action on the track. We don't really want to see races that are won in the pits. As uh, as as cool as it is to see that the, the tactics work and see things like the overcuts or the undercuts work, the the, the action is always so much more sweeter on the track. I mean, it was it was uh, it, it was thrilling for Hamilton and his fans to watch him pass Kimi, just as a, as it was as exciting for uh, Ferrari and, and Vettel fans to watch him just outpace Hamilton at Spa a couple of weeks ago. And I think uh, that's that's what we want to see is just like a head to head fight between two equal teams like uh, Ferrari and Mercedes plus any other uh, 
any other teams that want to throw themselves in there. But now let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the the other teams. Of course, one of the the big controversial moments uh, later in the in the race uh, happened between uh, Max Verstappen and then uh, and uh, and Valtteri Bottas right at the end of the the, the straight. Bottas had tried a couple of times to get around uh, Verstappen. He was obviously faster, and I think at that time uh, Max his tires were dozens of laps uh, older, if I remember correctly. Anyways, um, you know, Max is obviously known for driving a, a wide car and he's obviously improved. I mean, there is now that kind of Verstappen rule that they put in uh, a little bit more than a year ago. I think it was sometime in the 2016 season because, I mean, you're allowed to make one uh, blocking move. Again, go back to two, 2002 like I've been watching over the past couple of days. <laughs> and and there there is uh, quite a few uh, defensive maneuvers going back, uh, going on even in those days. Anyway, so you're allowed, the way that I interpret it is you're allowed one defensive mood and then you're allowed to, to move back over to the to the race line so what happened at the end of the street there's the straightaway when they were going going to turn into Redifilio is Max had kind of pulled over to the right side of the track to prevent uh, Botas sort of passing towards where the uh, the pit lane merges back into the track and then uh, Botas stayed on the left hand side of the track and then Max drifted back over they touched and uh, Botas had to use the escape road there and kind of dodge around some of those uh, uh but obstacles, but those big styrofoam arrows that they have to to point the cars through the uh, the, the shake, uh, chicane there, Redifilio. Anyways, uh, Max was uh, judged to have uh, been at fault there and uh, was given a five second time penalty, which uh, ultimately cost him uh, fourth position and um, ended up finishing in fifth behind Vettel. After that, five seconds was uh, was uh, was added to, to his time. But Max was just saying that uh, he was uh, complaining. Because, you know, he was told to to try and stay five seconds ahead of Vettel. And he said uh, something to the effect of, oh, honestly, I think they're trying to kill racing or something like that. Uh, Charlie Whiting, uh, the FIA uh, race director, you know, he... he didn't really, uh, didn't really take the jibe all. He didn't really react uh, to it or he was, he wasn't really moved by it. I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of a tough one, but I think that if you really go and look at it, I, I think that, that Max, even though he did give, uh, Botas, uh, room around the outside, I mean, he did make that one defensive move. He did move back over onto the racing line, but, it was really late, and uh, I mean, both cars were committed, and of course, uh, he just uh, he left him a bit of room, but still, uh, Bojas, where was he going to go? He's either going to go on the grass, I mean, bumped him, and, you know, maybe, I guess you could call it maybe a racing incident, but I think if you look at it in fairness, that uh, that, that some sort of punishment for, for, for Max probably was uh, a just and, and fair result. I mean, tough for him, I mean, uh, I was critical of him for, through the first uh, half dozen, seven races of the year uh, until after until the Canadian Grand Prix and Max has been very very good since then and that was a uh, uh, just one moment that didn't really work in his favor obviously at, uh, at Monza and I thought he was doing a very good job up until that point staying ahead of, uh, of Botas and, and and defending that fourth position but I just uh, my heart kind of sank there for a moment when I saw the the way that they touched and that uh, that he went on and and Botas had to dodge through the, uh, the the obstacles on the escape road there I just kind of had a sinking feeling at that point Max was going to get uh, penalized for that and uh, he certainly did and then, well, let, let's start uh, talking about a couple more issues before we start wrapping up uh, the the show for this week. A couple of technical issues that uh, that came up at Monza, and this was actually quite uh, frightening. And this happened in uh, in practice. I believe it was on uh, on Thursday. I think it was on uh, sorry on Friday in free practice too. 
And that was uh, the issue that Marcus ha- uh, Erickson had with the DRS on his uh, Sauber. So he got to the end of the very long uh, front straight there. His uh, DRS, uh, the flap did not close properly because he got into that braking zone to go through Redifilio and his car just veered off to the left. Uh, he, he crashed into the Armco barrier and the car just basically started cartwheeling and somersaulting. Car did what it was supposed to do and, you know, just disintegrated, dissipating all that uh, that energy. Fortunately, uh, Erickson was uh, okay, but I mean, he hit that barrier hard. And if you uh, see the the highlights from that uh, from that practice session, the uh, you you get one camera looking down the the, the pit straight and basically looking right at the back of uh, Erickson's car and where he impacts the barrier is pretty close to a marshal sta- station there, and you see three or four of these marshals just run away really quickly from uh, from the barrier there where he impacts it and just basically starts uh, uh, falling apart there. But that's a, a very scary, scary moment. So luckily, uh, you know, he was okay, like I said, but even uh, Carlos Sainz said afterwards that uh, that he hopes that uh, that they get away or do away with what he calls uh, a dangerous system, the, the DRS. And honestly, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not really a big fan of these uh, artificial uh, overtaking devices. But it is what it is. I mean, the, the way that these cars are d- designed and the the turbulence that they kick up and just the difficulty that uh, that it makes for cars uh, to trail and, and get close and overtake, it's something that they have to do. And and it's it's worked better at times this year uh, What with uh, introductions of extra DRS zones at uh, different uh, circuits. And uh, we've seen two, three, uh, you know, uh, DRS zones added uh, qu- on uh, on a number of occasions. And, and, and it works. But obviously... The best solution is to come up with aerodynamic regulations that allow for more organic and natural uh, overtaking uh, maneuvers. And uh, obviously, hopefully, uh, Sauber can get that uh, sorted out because we don't need uh, to see accidents like that uh, happen all of the time. And another interesting uh, moment uh, uh, that uh, that came up as a result of uh, uh, technical means was that uh, that Roman Grosjean in the uh, in the Haas was disqualified at the, the end of the race. He, he was actually on for a P6, but uh, his floor was ruled to have been uh, illegal after a complaint uh, by Renault. Uh, and uh, Grosjean, he was the only Haas driver to uh, to be uh, disqualified. Kevin Magnussen, who just had a, a terrible race, was the, uh, the the very final car that was uh, classified. He was uh, he was 16th and, uh, and uh, over a lap behind the, the, the leaders. So uh, obviously they've got uh, a little bit of work to, to do to get that uh, sorted out. There, there was uh, a clarification. There was a, a letter sent out uh, by the FIA to the the, the teams clarifying, um, you know, the the floor and some of the issues there earlier in the summer. But obviously there there was an issue with the Haas and uh, well, poor old Roma, who, who actually, I mean, was uh, on for a good result there, ended up uh, paying uh, paying the price uh, for that. And then, well, now another interesting thing, just sort of talking about uh, tires, uh, Michelin, who has not been in Formula One since, I believe, 2006 or thereabouts, so it's been over a decade uh, since they've uh, been a, a tire supplier to, to Formula One, believes that they could recreate a tire war as uh, Formula One's sole tire supplier, if that uh, should come to pass. Uh, but uh, they, they didn't... Um, they didn't bid. They, they, there was a recently, uh, there was the opportunity to be uh, become the the tire supplier. I think it's uh, from 2020 to 2023 or something like that. Anyways, it didn't work out. But uh, they they believe that that the the way these sort of high degrad- uh, degrad- 
degradation tires or the spef- specification that, uh, or at least what Formula One uh, wants uh, in, in the way of tire compounds, just does not really jive with their, I guess, uh, their ethos at Michelin, and uh, they they believe that that they've got uh, a better way that uh, they can imp- implement. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, different compounds in combinations of uh, compounds, much like they use in in MotoGP. So, interesting uh, thoughts uh, that uh, that they have, but uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, we won't see them in Formula One uh, soon. Uh, so, take it for what it's worth. And finally, what seemed to be well, maybe not a sure thing, but was looking pretty good for a Grand Prix in uh, Miami, Florida. It's maybe not quite such a, a sure thing or an odds-on thing uh, after all the uh, the, the mayor of uh, Miami-Dade has uh, stepped in to cancel, uh, I think it was like a fact-finding trip to the Singapore Grand Prix in a couple of weeks by some of the, uh, I think it was like the, the police chief of uh, Miami-Dade and the fire chief and some other people that would be involved in some of the, the logistical and technical um, parts of uh, hosting the Grand Prix. He's asked them to actually cancel that uh, trip and find a venue that's a, a little bit closer to Miami to conduct their 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 research. So perhaps maybe they'll go to Mexico, perhaps they'll go to the Circuit of the Americas in Austin in a couple of months for the U.S. Grand Prix. But uh, I don't know. Is, is that a little bit too much to read into things? I mean, that seems quite an extravagant and exotic destination uh, for a bunch of uh, civil servants to go and do basically some uh, research on, on hosting a, a Formula One race. And perhaps it's nothing more than just trying to save some taxpayers' dollars. Well, guys, I'm starting, you know, I, I'll be honest, I forgot to bring my water down here to drink, uh, you know, can keep my palate a little bit uh, refreshed and, and hydrated over the, the the course of the show here. And uh, what with uh, Kevin coming back the past couple of weeks, I'm not really used to doing this on my own again, so I apologize. I'm getting a little bit hoarse here, so perhaps, and that's just the F1 gods, just give me a bit of a tap on the shoulder, say, you know, Mark, you've had to... 45 minutes to, to sit here and, and have the uh, the attention on you and uh, and talk about uh, Formula One. So maybe, maybe it's a good time to start wrapping it up. And uh, yeah, well, honestly, you guys, I don't think I can go much further. So let, let's just wrap it up now. Let's just uh, quickly take a, a quick look at the, uh, the, the 2018 World Drivers' Championship. Lewis Hamilton on top, 256 points, leading Sebastian Vettel from Ferrari, 226. Kimi Raikkonen still in third place with 164 points. Valtteri Bottas, fourth place with 159. Max Verstappen is now into fifth place with 130 points. Danny Ricardo, 118 points. Nico Hulkenberg, 52. Kevin Magnussen is in eighth. Sergio Perez in ninth. Esteban Ocon in tenth. Followed by Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz, Pierre Gasly, Roman Grosjean, Charles Leclerc, Stoffel Van Dorn, Lance Stroll, Marcus Ericsson, and Brendan Hartley. And, well, finally, Sergei Sorokin, dead last in the World Championship with one point. And uh, Williams, for the very first time this year, getting a, a double points finish. Lance Stroll finishing ninth at uh, at the Italian Grand Prix. Sergei Sorokin finishing tenth. Well, it's uh, very good. Lance Stroll getting into Q3 this time. Uh, I think for the very first time this year, I think it was the, the Williams were in Q3. So promising and uh, refreshing to see them uh, finally get a, a result going their way. 
And then, of course, in the Constructors' Championship, still a lot to play for. Mercedes on top, 415 points, uh, compared to 390 for Ferrari. Red Bull with 248, Renault with 86, Haas Ferrari with 76, McLaren Renault, 52, Force India Mercedes, 32 points, Scuderia Toro Rosa Honda, 30, Sauber Ferrari with 9 points, and Williams Mercedes with 7. Oh, and I... Pardon me, I forgot to, to mention Haas, who are in fifth place, 76 points, which puts them between Renault and McLaren Renault. So there you go. And uh, once again, thank you all very much uh, for, for listening. Uh, hopefully, like I say, Kevin will be uh, back on uh, both feet, and uh, he's not under the weather this time next week. And until then, on behalf of myself and Kevin Laramie, thank you so very much for listening. If you want to get in touch, send us a tweet at ScuderiaF1Pod, or you can send us an email, ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. And do us a solid. If you listen to the show and you enjoy it, uh, go uh, go onto Apple Podcasts or Google Play wherever you download this this show from and uh, and lie honestly well maybe not honestly <laughs> but leave us a, a five-star review if you feel so inclined and a, and a, and a nice uh, review or, or rating with that helps keep the show visible helps it grow and uh, the, the numbers that uh, I've seen over the past couple of months have been uh, very encouraging and we thank each and every one of you for for listening to the show each and every week it is much appreciated but that's it that's all for now That's a wrap. We will catch you guys again this time next week. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?